Hi, listener. This is from Ideology to Unity, a spiritual journey where we let go of ego and ideological doctrine in favor of meaning, purpose, and unity as a whole. Today, I'm interviewing Elizabeth Pearson, a spiritual life coach and host of the Ascend and Transcend podcast. So how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? All right. Yeah. Um, You know, sometimes you feel like you might have an off day, but then like you can always change how it's going, can't you? Absolutely. Completely in control. Even though we don't always realize we are and that we determine what we experience, right? That's what I believe. So how did you discover, how did you discover your spiritual side? Um, you know, like most, I hate to say it's kind of generic, but my children really pulled it out of me. Um, there were a lot of years that I was sleepwalking and I was looking for externals to try to kind of fill voids or light me up. And when my daughters came into the world, I thought, well, that'll be the thing. Uh, you know, I'll just have children. And then that will be the purpose. That will be the thing that lights me up. And, you know, I hate to say it didn't, (laughs) um, I loved them and I knew that they were, you know, divinely sent to me and that I was going to kind of steward them through their 18 years. But that was the final frontier. I thought if this doesn't do it, I don't know what is. And so when that didn't really do it, it didn't really, you know, wake me up or make me feel really divinely connected to spirit or source or whatever you call it. I knew that I had to start looking inside myself, not outside myself at what I surrounded myself with as this key to this other dimension, right? I knew that there was always more out there, um, but I thought I was going to get triggered by external things to make it happen. And when that didn't happen, I really started diving deep because I was in a lot of pain. You wouldn't Mm -hmm. look at me and think that, but the pain of knowing that you're wasting part of your life or that you haven't really achieved your potential is painful. (laughs) It's deep. So after I had them and I still kind of felt meh, like basic, um, was when I decided to take it upon myself to start reading books on spirituality, going to retreats, having meditation be a consistent part of my life. And that was really the key that started to unlock a lot of spiritual awakenings. So what I'm getting from this is that you already knew about spirituality, but the awakening of realizing that there's a spiritual truth or world out there that doesn't give us the key, that just tells us that there's a lock. I think so. That's That was my experience. Yeah. So, I mean, I, we could go into how you discovered spirituality, but maybe that's not so important as the realization that it's within, right? Yeah. And I had heard people say that, you know, you have to, the keys to heaven are within or whatever, you know, that whole thing. And I thought, yeah, but it would also be nice to have a lot of stuff. It would be nice to have financial security and it would be nice to look a certain way. And to me, that was what, you know, this whole living your best life was, was, being thin, trying to be pretty, trying to have a wonderful spouse, you know, who made a lot of money and then I would make a lot of money and then we'd have this fabulous life. And it was, couldn't be more fucking wrong. (laughs) It was, it had nothing to do with any of that. And now these days, just sitting here talking to you, I know this is as good as it gets. This is my heaven, this moment, understanding that this moment is all I have. And waking up every morning in a beautiful sheltered home with soft sheets and feeling safe, that is heaven. And it took me 40 years to figure that out. And I wish I would have figured it out a little bit earlier. That wasn't the journey, I guess, but right. But knowing that I did know it was there, but I didn't know how to get there, but it's so simple. Because you're already there, right? I'm already there. It's just being non-resistant. I was in, I was constantly pushing. I was constantly pressure testing what was around me, right? Is this it? Uh, If I could just do this, I was living for the future, you know, and examining the past. And I just had to put my hands down and be good with this moment 
no matter what was going on and, and speaking it out, right? That this is perfection right here, right now. So even anybody who's listening to this, if you're on a walk or if you're in your car in traffic, it's hard to say traffic is perfection, but it is because it's all you have right now. So you have the decision, like how you open the show by saying some days you feel like you might have an off day and that that's okay too. just be non-resistant yeah. to that. Just be okay with today might be an off day, but I'm going to still be peaceful. Yeah. So, um, You've kind of answered the question I was going to ask, which was, what is true success to you? And I suppose, so another question would be, this sort of presence that you're talking about, we can intellectually understand it, but there's another thing which is experiencing it. So how do you, how do you make that leap then? I think that it could take, it could take some time and you just have to give yourself some grace. I think everybody's probably a lot harder on themselves than they acknowledge. Um, I work with a lot of women who are type A, CEOs, C-suite, and they're, and it's just, we want everything right now. We want peace to come right now. We want enlightenment right now. We want all of these things. But in wanting that, we're creating suffering. So if we can just be at peace on the journey, even if, it doesn't feel like it's going fast enough, then you've already crossed the finish line, right? You've already won this game. But I think unless you create that space to be able to go slow or fast, however your spirit, you know, wants to unfold and, and take care of your body and take care of your mind and really just kind of like wrap yourself in grace and patience, which is always really hard. But if you can do that, even if it's for a couple moments a day, it will build. And then you will get to this place where you're a lot more unshakable than you were before. I'm not going to say I don't lose my stuff and, you know, every once in a while, like lash out at my husband or my kids or get angry in traffic, but it's moments. It's not days anymore. It's not hours anymore. It's a moment and then I'm okay. I forgive myself. I apologize to whoever I might have tried to dump my bad vibes on. And then we keep it moving. Okay. So when you, when you start coaching someone, what are the first small practical steps that you take to help them or that you take to help them allow, to help them to help themselves? Yeah. Um, the first thing that we work on is letting that inner voice come on the stage. So this is their soul. A lot of times we're, we're, we're really busy distracting ourselves, right? It's so easy to do now and our phones and everything make it so wonderfully delicious to just waste time and distract ourselves. But I feel that there are always messages coming through and I'm sure you do as well, Nicholas, that your soul is always guiding you. There are always messages from the 75% of you that is non-physical energy maybe even 90% of you, that's non-physical energy. And we keep telling that soul to just shh, be quiet. I'm working. You know, I'll talk to you later. I'll let you speak later. It's all this obligation. And then when we get done with the obligation, we dive headfirst into distraction because it's, it's everywhere and it's so easy. So first with clients, we have to create that space for the soul to be welcome back to the table. And not only is he or she or it going to come forward, we're going to give them a microphone and we're just going to shut the F up and listen. That is the only thing you have to do, but that can be very hard to create space because people think it's sitting in Lotus and meditating in a perfectly quiet room. It's not that it's go for a walk without your earbuds, you know, just go for your 20 minute walk or whatever, without listening to something. Listen to this podcast later, find another time when you're in the shower. A lot of people have like music playing and stuff. It's like, just be in the shower. If you're driving, try not to listen to music, just create a space for those thoughts, which are your soul guiding you to come through. So when we escape through distractions or when we throw ourselves into work 
they seem like opposites, but why are they? It seems to me that they might be two sides of the same coin, but what's why are they connected like that? I think because a lot of times when these messages and these voices are coming through, it's like it's like emails. So let's use this, this metaphor. If you just stopped answering your emails, they would start to pile up, right? To a point where it would be so uncomfortable to even open that inbox to begin to go through it that you just wouldn't. So we've got these messages coming from source, coming from our guides, coming from ancestors, all of these things. They're trying to tell us. They have all the answers. They're saying, hey, go this way, try this. But we're not opening that message box. We're just being very quiet. And so it doesn't matter if it's work or social media. As long as we are avoiding that, it feels better than looking at that. But if you can create space, so this is like five minutes a day of just being quiet, just shutting up, shutting your mind up, shutting your mouth up and listening, not hearing, just really listening what is trying to come through. It's the equivalent of opening that proverbial email box and answering five a day. Eventually you will kind of get caught up, but you have to create the space. So it will feel very indulgent. Anything will feel better than looking at that, including work. So people will dive into work. Right. Someone might say though, that I try just creating that space, but my head just doesn't shut up. Yeah. Great. Let it come out. I say it's like, it's like a child that you give sugar to and you're trying to get them to sit in a chair for five minutes. This is your brain. They're not going to do it. Let it spin out. Let it run laps. So let your mind, if it's five minutes and it's just boom, 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 fine. We're not going to be resistant. We're going to give ourselves grace. We're going to say, okay, child mind, if you want to go nuts for this five minutes, great. Because then maybe it won't try to go nuts at 3am when you're sleeping, or maybe it won't try to go nuts when you're sitting down, you know, having coffee with a friend who really needs you to listen. And instead you're thinking of all these other things you need to do. So at some point, the more you let that child, your mind tucker itself out and just spin out, it will at some point get tired and be quiet. Another thing you can do is just have a notebook. I tell clients all the time, if you are just, it's like ping, 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 all these things you need to do. Great. Stop your meditation, write everything down, just write it all down. It's like a big data dump download and then get it out. But we just need to create that space for other things to be able to come through. Yeah, that idea of space is really valuable because it's like, how do you open your heart if it's, I don't know, if you've got clogged, I don't know, you're clogging yourself full of other things. Like, yeah. You can't. What's the other question I had? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> it doesn't matter. Um, I think too, uh, you know, this whole intention of unity through this show. And I feel like too, if we could let these voices come through, it might kind of pry open that heart a little bit more and to have compassion. And it might give you this, that space might give you the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes or see things from a different point of view or perspective, which then might make you more empathetic, which then might affect your attitude when you're at the coffee shop, getting your coffee and somebody's taking a long time and you're getting impatient, all of that. I think it's to your point and the point of the show, it's all connected. So mm. if you can't have grace for yourself, you will not be able to have true grace for anyone else. So as a parent, do you find I mean, you've already alluded to this, actually, but do you find that your ego is very much like another child? Absolutely. And so all the and chaos I going on, it's like a bunch of children with advanced technology that haven't really been cared for. It is. And that's, but I think to be able to see that and to understand that, 
is a high level concept for some people that can be very hard. It can be, no, they're adults. They know what they're doing. This is hate spewing and all this. I don't believe in that. I know that awful things happen, but I believe that it's just an experience. We love to label it out here as good or bad or evil or this. I don't know. I don't really believe in all that. I don't believe that there is um, punishment for doing things, you know, once we leave this manifestation. And so I think people are out there doing what they wanted to experience in this life. Right. And so one mentor at one point um, gave me this beautiful analogy that maybe will help some of your listeners too. I, like many people was in a relationship with somebody who was negative. It was a family member and it really bugged me that she was so negative. I just wanted her to be positive every day and high vibes and all this. And my mentor at the time said, you know, it's like, she's out on the ocean on a wave runner, this hitting waves of negativity. And she's freaking loving it. She's out there having the time of her life on her negativity wave runner. And you're on the beach saying, come here, come. This is where you should be. Be over here with me here because she doesn't want to experience that. She wants to experience her soul, wanted to experience being negative. You can't pull somebody off the wave runner. They're having fun. You just like, you have to just let them be. And I feel like that's ego. You know, it's it's all of these things, right? So if my ego wants to be on this wave runner of negativity, because it feels really good just to be negative for an hour today, then that's fine. I know I have the awareness that that is not me. You might have been there in some way once. Of course. Oh my gosh. I was, I was a critical judgmental bitch. I mean, I really was, but it was because I didn't like myself. I judged everybody and I was a control freak. And those are things that I still deal with. I have the awareness thou know. And instead of beating myself up for it, I know that that is ego. And I know that that is just a part of the human experience. You can't you know, just be this high vibe and, you know, entity at 24 hours a day. It's unrealistic. Yeah. But some of those people, you know, it's because I was hurting inside, but I didn't want to admit that. So I just judged everybody else. That was my distraction. How do you heal then? I think you start with acceptance and Tara Brock has a wonderful book called radical acceptance. And I think that there's a difference between forgiveness and acceptance, whether it's for yourself or for others. I don't know that forgiveness is always attainable. So to forgive yourself for things that you've done in the past or ways you've acted or ways that people have maybe, you know, harmed you or so you feel so, but I think just accepting it. Like I accept that part of me that's there. I accept that part of me that was much more prevalent in the past. I accept that there are people that want experiences that are different than mine in this lifetime. And it's not my job to change them. And that was really hard because I just wanted everybody to think like me, but I accept it and I can move on. So if you can just heal those parts by accepting them, the more we resist it, the more they're going to fight. They're going to struggle to come back. We just bless it. We accept it and we keep it moving. And no one likes a helicopter parent, right? Who just like telling, or someone or they're driving and someone's telling them where to go, even if they are going in negative directions. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Cause then it's yeah. like, you can't accept that they're doing that. And maybe they can't accept that you're telling them what to do. So. Right. So you emphasize, you, you, um, you coach a lot of women who are high-flying career women. Maybe they've got to balance that with family as well, and it might be difficult. So why, why is that your emphasis then? I really chose that because I feel like people can help people they're most like and have walked that path. And I've walked that path. I've really had that internal struggle of, do I want to lean into my career and achieve all of these wonderful things? Or do I want to try to be the best mother I can be? And it's impossible. There was no way to do them both. And 
I realized that. And then I started over an eight year period studying, you know, spiritual guides and all, and, and really kind of like figuring out what I wanted for myself. So I feel like that's, those are the people I can best help and guide as well, because there's a lot of them. (laughs) And especially the last year, trying to decide who, you know, what bucket you're going to fill the family bucket, or I'm going to be really good at work. Cause now I have to overcompensate because maybe I'm working from home or I'm not able to travel at the end of the day. Neither of those buckets is the answer. The only bucket we should be worried about filling is this one of compassion, acceptance, and love for ourselves. So, so many women come to me and, and, you know, we use this metaphor of a cup their cup, Nicholas is so empty and it's been empty for years and they're still trying to pour. They're still trying to give pieces of themselves to their jobs or their families. And they're at a breaking point. Usually when they get to me, they, Hmm. something has to give. Yeah. I imagine so. Sorry. It just reminds me so much of the tarot. The cup is like the heart. And like, if it's overflowing, then you're like, you're abundant, right? If you can, perhaps, would you agree that if you can help a client to get to a point where they're overflowing, they no longer have to make like this hard choice between, let's say, career and family or something else, like, because there's a third option that covers everything, kind of. You nailed it. Could you elaborate on that, maybe? Yeah. Um, The thing is, too, is that what I try to explain to them is that the output that you're giving this energy uh, that you're trying to give from this empty cup is not, is not going to be optimized. So the work you're doing at work is not going to be your best work. The love that you're trying to give your family is not going to be the best version of you because if you're exhausted at the end of the day from trying to produce something out of nothing, because you don't have any energy, think of what the leftovers are that your friends, your family, and your children, you know, and your spouse or your partner are going to get from you. Is that the best version of you? No, it's usually an exhausted, depleted version. So what I say is, and I'll advocate sometimes that they walk away. If their job is, some people call me and tell me it's soul sucking. And I'm like, Jesus, well, then we need to, we need to find out something. This is like red alarms going off. No level of soul sucking in a job is acceptable. But to them it is. It's well I've been doing this for years. It's it's not. <laughs> we need to make a change. So I advocate a lot of times for a gap year, you know, take a couple months off, take a year off. In the grand scheme of your life is taking a year off for yourself really going to be something you're going to regret? Probably not. I've got a I've got a question. I'm curious because it's you heavily, you've ended up emphasizing um, helping women with career, career women, right? Mm-hmm. But what sort of, how would you, um, yeah, what would your focus be? Not would your focus be. What would your approach be with, um, let's say, young men who don't have a sense of direction in their lives or even a job or not something you know, the sort of troubled young men sort of thing. Well, I think the initial step is the same, which is try to tune into that guidance system because it's always great to get help from an external source, right? So I always think coaches are great because they're not your family members. They're not anybody who has any ulterior motive other than to kind of help pull you out of this rut and get you going on your path. Um, so I think that that's great, but if you're not at the point where you're looking to invest in a coach, the same rule of being quiet and getting still and listening applies. So another really fun thing you can do is sit even just with a piece of paper and you can set your phone for three minutes. I have clients do this all the time. Cause like, I don't even know where to start, sit down and then ask your soul a question. What am I meant to be doing? And just watch as your hand just starts scribbling things. You're not allowed to think about what you're writing. You're not allowed to go back and judge it before you write it. Your subconscious mind, a lot of times will kick in and you'll just, it'll be interesting to see what you just start writing. 
So if you need to tune into that subconscious, that's one way to do it. Another wonderful way to do it is to, this is a form of meditation, but if you check out some binarial beats, there's playlists on all sorts of sites. Um, this, this is brain brainwave technology. You can get into a theta wave, um, you know, listen to those, or you can, there's all sorts of classifications. You can pick one that speaks to your soul and listen to that. And that will actually, to your point, when you're trying to meditate and the child is having the tantrum, this is wonderful because these brainwave playlists will go in and override that. And you can actually see, you know, through studies, it will actually calm your mind and soothe you almost into this dreamlike state. And then just pay attention. You don't always have to see visions or this or that, but a lot of times after you do something like that, I think that our soul is always downloading things, our, our brain. So you never know, maybe your guides or your soul guidance system imprint something while you're listening to one of those binarial beats. And then all of a sudden that night you have an idea, you know, maybe I should do this or maybe this would feel good. But if you also follow the rule of just doing what feels good and stop doing the stuff you don't want to do, it's amazing how quickly you can get in alignment. Just do what you like. But, but sometimes you might not realize if something you might think that something feels good, yeah. but it might not, like if you're addicted to something. Right. Yeah. That's the other way we distract is food, drugs, alcohol, all of these things. And I think too, to your point, uh, an active step that you can do is really limiting that. Um, alcohol is really going to be, it, it's statistically like a depressant, you know, um, and it can bring you into those lower vibrational planes where you're going to feel even more stuck. So it's this band-aid, you know, it might feel good the night you're drinking or when you're having that one drink, like you need to unwind, but I'm a big advocate of living alcohol free. If, if you're trying to live your best life and take care of your body, the, the, one of the best things you can do for your psychological state too, is to just cut out alcohol. Even if it's for a week, try it for a week, two weeks, three weeks, see how you feel. Another thing is really watching what you're eating too. I think that there are low vibrational foods. If something is dead and you're consuming it, so it's really highly processed. Um, I think that there's soul energy and animal meats and animal flesh, you know, like you can just start to lessen that stuff and eat things that are alive, like vegetables and seeds that would grow in water. Those kinds of things can only help you get clarity on what feels good. But to your point, if you're thinking that it probably isn't good for you, but it feels good, then you have your answer. That's yeah. really just a trick. It doesn't really make you feel good. Does alcohol really make you feel good? I don't know. It didn't for me, it did in the moment, but it never did afterwards. Yeah. I've noticed that when you're in escapism mode, it's like, there's this pain that you're constantly trying to cover up the whole time. Yeah. Agreed. So how do we live in alignment or in the zone? Well, I think that we try to get in the zone as much as possible. Um, and to do that, I think, you know, with all my clients, meditation is mandatory, but meditation doesn't have to be a traditional meditation practice. Um, I think you just have to get to a place where you can shut off the distractions. So first, if you can do that and you can get to a high vibrational plane, I'm sure you would agree, Nicholas, that we're born in these wonderful high vibrational frequency planes, right? This is our natural state is like right, vibe yeah. and high. And then as we wake up, there are little things that will kind of pull us lower. So I love this example of a cork. And I think Esther Hicks was the first uh, place that I heard it. If you look at your vibration as a cork, we're supposed to be buoyant. We're supposed to be nice and high, but then we wake up during the day and maybe we see an email we don't like, and it pulls us, it submerges us a little bit to a lower vibra vibrational plane. And then, you know, we're sitting in traffic, boom, lower we go, lower we go throughout the day, these things. Then we eat some like 
fast food for lunch that pulls us lower. Then night comes, we have a beer pulls us even lower. Maybe you'll get back up as you sleep. You'll kind of, the cork will rise again. But if you can find little bits in your day to make your cork rise, to go to your natural high vibrational plane, you'll have more clarity. You'll heal more. You'll be in alignment. So ways to do that are to play music, to write, to sing to music. Even if you sound, you know, even if it's just you by yourself, um, to dance, to meditate. I love looking at photos um, of really happy times on my phone. It's kind of this wonderful highlight reel of moments where I felt really blessed and happy um, songs that I listen to that will trigger those emotions. And then I know my cork is at the surface, right? I'm nice and high. And then when I'm up there, all of these wonderful manifestations can find me all the stuff I want, right? Inspiration, the right people in my life, all of this stuff comes, but I can't access that if I'm, if I'm submerged on lower vibrational planes all day, I'm just going to get more of the muck that I don't want the longer I'm in those lower vibe places. Right. So this could be talking to a friend who's just an energy vampire and it's just, they're just going to dump all their crap on you all day. Like just don't have that call, you know, or say, I really have to get off. Um, another thing too, is like watching the news that's going to pull you way down. So it's just having an awareness, you know, you don't have to live like a saint all day, but do things that feel good that your soul responds to and try to get that cork at a high level throughout the day a few times so that more goodness can find you. And that will be the new addiction is feeling really good and having all these wonderful things flow to you easily. Right. Yeah. Instead of external things, it would be, people say, I've heard this term, like get high in your own supply, right? I think the, um, I think it was to do with doing breathing techniques to get sort of a high, but um, that generally that, that applies to what you're saying just about like anything you rely on externally, if you can find a way to replace it with something internal, that surely would help. Right. And then you're in control. You know, this is the other thing is the only thing we can control is our vibe, right? Like where we want to be. So when you can get to that place where you're unshakable, that you can stay in a centered place of peace, no matter what's going on around you, then I feel like then you've really gotten to fulfillment and everybody talks about enlightenment. Enlightenment is messy. I mean, this process is not going to be this wonderful, ah, you know, it isn't this dark night of the soul is very real. I'm sure you've had it too. Oh, yeah. You're going to, you're going to keep having awakenings and day, there are going to be days where you're going to be overwhelmed with emotion and, you know, this shadow work that needs to be done, all of this stuff. But I think it's worth it. I think every time you have another awakening and you go through that journey and you get more comfortable in the unknowing that's kind of the point. We're just, we're trying to predict, we're trying to control, we're trying to grasp. It's like we're skydiving and we're grabbing for something to stop us instead of just enjoying not knowing, right? Just enjoying this new feeling. But that can be very tricky to get to that place where you're out of panic control mode. But through these little practices, you can get closer to it. So ironically, you don't get control by trying to get control, but by giving up control. (laughs) Right. Being non-resistant, just like, I mean, these old hippies, right? Like go with the flow, all the, they knew it all along. I think now we're just, it's like this reemergence of it because I think the last year and a half has taught us we have control over nothing. And so we can either try to control and try to get other people to think the way we think or tell them we know what's best for them. We don't, we don't know anything. All we know is what's good for us. And if we can live in this wonderful light filled bubble of our own energy, that is going to be the role model for others. Instead of preaching to others, if we just lead by example and live in a place of peace and non-reaction and surrender, then I think that that rubs off on people. 
And then I think there will be more people who experiment and try to just not try to control something or, you know, the holidays are coming up before we know it. I'm not going to try to convince a family member that their beliefs are wrong. I'm just going to listen to them, you know, not take on any of their energy. I mean, cleanse yourself after you're in situations like that of energies, but just being at peace with it. Just accepting you do have a podcast. So you do in a sense, promote what you stand for, what, what we've been talking about. How do you, what's the difference between that and preaching? Well, I feel like preaching is for people who um, didn't necessarily choose to hear it. Whereas I, I think the podcasts are a great platform for people who are curious and maybe they do want to lean into something and maybe they want to listen to one episode and then decide it's not for them. And that's fine. But I think as star seeds, if you will, light workers, it's, it's a responsibility to help plant those seeds in other people. Not that it's right or wrong. It's really about just coming into themselves. So I'm not pushing any agenda. Hmm. Um, I mean, I am hardcore pushing meditation, but that's, <laughs> that's really my only agenda. I don't think that's so bad, but I think that if people by choice want to listen to something, I'm sure with your podcast as well, it's very different than saying, I think you should believe this. Yeah. Although at first there might've been a little bit of that. Cause honestly, this whole thing's a journey for me. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I still experience ego and like, but you know, people, you know, when people will tell you that you're changing, you know, that's, that's good. I mean, and you can, that's the thing. It starts with small steps, but when you take a step back and you're like, wait a minute, why am I beating myself up so much? Like I've come this far, right? Right. And if you're on the spiritual journey and you're listening to this, I guess you could always be grateful for where you've come to now. Exactly. And, and other people will be at other stages of their journeys and we can be grateful for that. I think that every, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, we're talking about before we got on about your spiritual cat, Maybe it's a spiritual cat. Maybe it's not. I really, to my bones, believe that there are no coincidences. So even the pets in your life, the people in your life, all of it is there. And it's divinely guiding you towards this optimal self, right? Just so you can have the most fun in this life. I mean, isn't this what we're trying to experience are the joys and the pleasures and all of that. So that's wonderful. And the pain, it's just an experience. And so- these people in your lives, if we can just embrace it, even somebody, you know, honking at you, you know, to go, cause the light is green. Okay, great. You know, instead of reacting and getting angry, all right, well, I was a release for that guy to dump some negative energy today. Big deal. You know, it didn't, it didn't hurt me. Like if you can just go along and kind of resonate with people on a purely empathetic, compassionate acceptance level, then I think like, that's the whole point. Mm. And they, more people will flow into your life that are there to help support your next step of your awakening and other people might fall to the side. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I've been, what I'm about to talk about, I've been wondering about, but I'm curious to hear your answers. So on one hand, we're guided and everything seems synchronized, but we also have free will. So what's the, um, it seems like a paradox. So what's going on there? Yeah, that's tricky, right? Nicholas, like, I do feel like, uh, this free will thing, while it's great, um, left to our own devices, we can have a lot of unnecessary pain and suffering, but I do, I do feel like there is a guidance system. I don't know that our life is divinely planned out. I do think that when things happen like disease or, something tragic in your life. I do feel like that was a soul contract, um, something that you agreed to before you manifested down here. But to your point, then this idea of free will is introduced and therefore how do they play together? I, I think that there, there is a divine path, but we do make these choices on what we want to experience. So say 
say something tragic happens, say you're dating somebody or you're in a relationship and say that person passes away. I do think that you have the choice to kind of see that as something that was maybe agreed upon. And that in this life, you said, you know what, I'm going to be this person who's going to live on and I'm going to experience you passing. Um, and I'm going to be okay with that. Or you can be in that place where our rational primal brain comes in and fights it at every step and says, I'm going to spend the rest of my life living in pain because of what happened, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. Mm. I think that's the free will choice. I think that that, that scenario that happened was divine, but you choosing how you want to react to it is where the free will comes in. That's my belief, but I don't know anything. <laughs> Anybody who says they know it all doesn't. I don't know anything. That's my belief though. I really like your answer and that what you prefaced at the end where you don't really know anything. That's just a guess, no. right? Right. And you acknowledge that. Anybody who says they know what's going on doesn't. <laughs> They're definitely the people that don't. <laughs> Unless they know that no one knows what's going on. <laughs> exactly. Nobody really knows. Yeah. So um, do you have a spiritual pet? I don't have a spiritual pet. And I used to have pets as a child, but my husband is allergic to cats. And now my baby girl is allergic to like every dog there is. So I do not have any pets. I'm sure someday I will though. All right. Well, is there such a thing as a pet that isn't a spiritual pet? I don't think so. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I think all, I mean, honestly, I think all animals are, and that's why um, it's so great to, you know, try to be as meat free as possible. I mean, that's propaganda. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm I am pushing that as well as meditation, but no, mm, they're it's all spirits. Like, it's, it's difficult for me. Cause like, I know that there's that okay it's dead it died right right and i really like meat <laughs> i get it and yeah and um, i did too i really did and i'm not gonna say that i never you know have a, a piece of chicken or something that's i don't think i don't really believe in absolutism but i do think that um just having awareness like if i do have a piece of meat i'm really intentional about it and saying you know thank you like yeah. as crazy as that might sound, I'm really blessing and honoring the sacrifice of that animal and making sure that, you know, it comes from a good place and stuff, but some people need that too. I mean, I've talked to a million psychics and astrologers and this and that. And when I was on my vegetarian and then vegan journey, uh, you know, I, I was like really wanting to get, to get everybody to conform. I was really demonizing my family. Feel? Oh, yeah. so you felt that they were doing something. Oh, awful. yeah. I was on a soapbox and it was like, you are in the wrong. And my husband and and then I got to a point to a really wonderful. I call her like my my vegan spirit guide was like, stop, just do you. And, and don't be that person who tries to change everybody and then see. And then once I really stopped trying to control what other people were eating and telling them about it. You know, here comes my husband now. I mean, he really won't mess with me like at all. And, and an astrologer was like, you know what? He might need it. I do think some people's bodies need certain things. And that's why we crave certain things. But again, it's like, why not try? You know what I mean? If we're, if we're in this, in the span of our lifetime, yeah. let's try to go a month without meat and just see how we feel. Yeah. See what happens. Right. Yeah. And like I, and you might try not going without meat. And then you don't like it, but then later on, you might change your mind. Like you don't have to decide here and now the perfect way to live in every single way. And if you don't do it the perfect way, you're terrible. Exactly. Like like that's, it's, that's duality. Right. And that's a trap. Totally. I'm, you know, I'm really, it's nice to hear that sort of perspective about vegetarianism or veganism. Um, You know, I used to be, the other side but I used to be like I don't know like I I didn't like to be told what to do or what nobody was right does wrong. so all these things that seem progressive to me I was I felt threatened by right because yeah but now it's like 
the sides are an illusion anyway, right? Totally. And at the end of the day, to your point, you know, it's, it's really hard. You know, we use this example of the holidays coming up and trying to like, you know, convert somebody when you go in with that intention, the only thing that typically happens is they dig in deeper. So to your point, and I was like that too, people would be like, oh, you have to see this movie. And I'd be like, well, that's now a movie I will never see. It was just out of spite. It was like, nope, I'm, I, people kept saying, oh, you got to watch Hamilton. You have, you haven't seen Hamilton yet. Oh my God. I, to this day has never watched Hamilton. I'm like, I, I don't want to, because you're, you're forcing it on me. If you would have just said, you know what, this really wasn't a, uh, a great piece of work. If you ever bored someday, it'd be great. And then it stopped at that. I probably would have watched it. So it's the same with vegetarian and veganism. Like the quickest way to make somebody anti-vegan is to tell them they should be vegan over and over and all the reasons why they have to get there on their own. And that was a very hard lesson because I was the chick who had all the answers and I would just berate it. Into you dropped you the until sword. You did it. Oh yeah. I mean, it I was had to like, do that. Like I was into politics in my own way, you know, and it just like, yeah, you felt, okay. The really big threat to animals uh, and even us, if we carry an eating that way or living that way. Yeah. I thought there was a big threat <laughs> and it was the left. <laughs> But yeah, it wasn't really. It's not as simple as that. But it's a, well, also it's the same thing, isn't it? Right. It's this try feeling like we're in more control of our lives the more we control others, and it's an illusion. We never have any control over others. We never can control what they think about us or what they do. Like it's all you. You got to give up the fight. To your point, you got to put down the sword because you're actually counterproductive. The more of that you do the more you're pushing them in the opposite direction. And this is still something that I struggle with. You know, we're talking about this. I am by no means at the finish line. I still very much am very vocal (laughs) about things that I like and this and that. And it's Mm. a constant check-in with myself of like, okay, dial it back. Like they don't need to hear this. They don't want to hear this and all of this stuff. But um, it's it's just part of the process. Just having the awareness. Awareness is key. Yeah. So how did it feel when you were trying to convert people? Draining, unfulfilling. It felt like a losing battle. And I felt righteous, you know, in my wanting to change their mind and convert them and all of this. And then I think there is a, spiritual, there's a whole other spiritual ego, right? Like, oh, I'm so spiritual and elitism. Like I'm above you. I'm more woke or this or that. And that was easy to fall prey to that of like being on this righteous soapbox of believing that, you know, I was more enlightened. We don't need to get past that. Such bullshit. Yeah. It's like, it's a joke. I mean, now I think about it too. And I, w- I, I had to have been pushing people away unknowingly, you know, thinking that I was trying to help. This is this other thing too, of like trying to feel like you have to save everybody. And I feel like the intention when I started coaching was I wanted to help everybody. I wanted them to see what I saw. And now I'm like, you know what, if you want to work together, awesome. I've got some ideas on stuff, but I'm here as a support, right? It's like, I'm here to listen and support you, not give you the same path, the roadmap that I took, because it's not going to work that way. And you're going to be resistant to it. It's more of opening up my mind and saying, whoever wants to come, this is great because you're probably wanting some support. And if not, that's cool too, because I don't have all the answers. Nobody does. What have been the most moving experiences that you've had while coaching people? Oh my God. It's incredible. I mean, it's, it's so fulfilling. I I think that I didn't realize that it was going to be this fulfilling. I thought that it was going to be like trying to boil, boil the ocean, right? Like one person at a time, try to kind of change, get them to wake up, but it isn't that it's, it's wonderful because, um, I did have a client who had a daughter that was transitioning. So she felt non-binary. So when this client came to me, she was really struggling with this. And she said, 
you know, this is my daughter. I'm not going to call her they or them or this new, you know, you know, uh, name that they want to be called. And we talked about the soul agreement, the soul contract, you know, before they manifested, what if this person wanted you to be their mom and be accepting of this? And this is this whole new level of, you know, awareness for my client, right? And she was really open to it, Nicholas. She's been open to everything. And they are to the point now where she calls them, they, there, there is no gender. And it's, it's this wonderful thing. They've healed a relationship. So I feel like that is one of the biggest success stories. There are lots of other ones where women make, you know, another two or 300 grand on their base, right? There's these financial things, but it's these big relationship breakthroughs that feel the best because yeah. they uh, carry on. And it's about relationships, people. It's not about some sort of ideology right. or, and when we let go of that, we unify, right? So I just wanted to put that in. Yeah. Yes. I love so, that. Um, what about religious or spiritual experiences that, you, oh, that you've had? Uh, I wouldn't classify any of them as religious. Spiritual. See, and you probably feel this way too. I'm a little guarded with what I share about spiritual experiences because I still feel a little bit in the spiritual closet, if you will. Because I think that there is still a stigma. If you come out and say some of the, the things that you've experienced, people can write you off as, as crazy. Oh, she's crazy. She's a loon. Um, it's so funny. There's these little white things coming in front of the camera. And I always think those are like little spirits too, but um, like kind of floating around, letting their presence be known. I've had some very significant spiritual experiences where it scared me to the point of like, okay, like I've asked for things, things to show up, uh, tangible things, and they come really quickly and there's no explanation for them. So I'll say that that happens now multiple times a day where I am in communication with my guides. I'll talk, I'll ask for something. I will ask for something tangible to show up and things will come. One, I'm, I'll give you one example. Okay. So have you ever read Pam Grout's E-squared book? No. Oh my God, it's amazing. So any listeners, she gives you these 10 um, experiments to kind of test the universe to see if your thoughts create reality. So one of these tests was to ask for like, I call them angel signs, um, you know, within the next 24 hours, I asked to see something and I had asked to see a gray feather and I was really desperately looking for it, right? I was clinging to this hope that the universe was somehow listening and like, three days passed. I didn't see a single gray feather. And I'm like really looking for them. Right. And I'm sobbing this night because it didn't happen. And I'm feeling cut off and I was packing for a trip and I went to get, you know, like those little pill boxes that are like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, yeah. So I get one out of this old purse I haven't used in forever. And I pull it out. And this was a Sunday night. I was getting ready to go on a Monday trip and I open up the Sunday to put pills in. And there is a tiny gray feather in this pill box, in the sun. I mean, it was just like, okay, you know, but I feel like the universe was testing me. And once I finally broke and was okay, not seeing it, it came. Yeah, exactly. Every time when you see the, the numbers, right, that's the time yeah. and it's like 11, 11 or something like that. You never see it when you look to see it. You right. only see it when you're not expecting it, when you're not planning it. And it's yeah. like, okay, okay. But think about this. It's like, my thoughts and actions are synchronized without me knowing. So I look at it at the perfect time. That's a, like, imagine that, like, just, just like, yeah. and that's just one example. Like you, your decisions in the past where, which led to that feather being there happened before you asked to see the sign. There's a future you. This is this voice, right? We're talking about being still to listen. There is a future Nicholas. There's a future Elizabeth. There is a future listener, right? Who is putting all of this stuff in line. We really don't have to do anything except not fight it. They have it figured out. The Elizabeth from years ago who put that feather in knew what was going to happen. We just have to, we just have to stop the fight. 
for everything. If we can just be in a place of surrender and acceptance, which is very hard to get to. It's not like that's, Mm. that's, that's, I think the test of life is to just be okay with not knowing, but then we give them the permission to drive the car for us. Yeah. And hopefully you're not off a cliff. (laughs) And if if it is, that's that's how it's meant to be. (laughs) I love that. Exactly. I always tell, I always tease my husband and I say, you know what? Uh, If I die before you, it's just, I cross the finish line first. I, I don't think that it's like this, you know, Oh God, you know, it's like, okay, cool. Then I did what I was supposed to do here. And my soul was ready to peace out and was like, you know what? We're going to go off a cliff. Okay. I don't think you feel any of that anyway. I think your soul leaves the body at that point, but whatever's supposed to happen is going to happen. Yeah. Actually, that's said the, um, in the tarot cards, the, the first card is the fall, right? And it's this guy yeah. walking towards a cliff, but the beginning of the adventure. So. Right. It's the free fall. Do you think he yeah. fights that fall as he's falling? No, he accepts it. It's I'm sure yeah. he's scared, but it's like, okay, I can't change this. Symbolism is a really a part of life that really enriches it, I find. So I, I'm not gonna listen, I'm not gonna tell you what aspect of creativity or uh symbolism or what or intuition intuition to explore, but find what's right for you and like, or find new things. And it's like, it might enrich your life, like me doing this, but also tarot and stuff. It's really interesting to me. Anyway. I love tarot. I love runes. Like all of it I think is super fun. And I, I have an Oracle deck, which I love too. just, you know, a daily pull of a card. And sometimes I'll look at it and be like, no, that's not right. You know? And I know then that that's, like I, I'll take it at face value, um, but I think that it can be reassuring. These are all these wonderful things that you can feed your brain. Like what's the harm? All of these skeptics who are like, oh, I don't believe that. Or they talk with a medium and it, maybe there wasn't like, you know, something that really drove home. And so they choose not to believe. But to me, I don't understand what the harm is in believing. I don't, I don't see why you wouldn't look for symbolism and things and why you wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like if it's fun for you, like do a three card pull, you know, tarot, like there's things that you can do. You can do those yourself. Um, but just to try to tap into this and see the signs, I believe that there are messages and there are literal signs all the time. If you do get into your car and turn on the radio, what's the song that's on, you know, there are messengers all around us. So even us on this show, if you are still listening at this point and you chose to listen to this, there is a meaning behind that. I really believe that. And there are messages that come from yourself, but they're, they're all, you're being guided externally as well. Um, but I would say only listen to the messages that really resonate and feel good. If the message doesn't feel good, then it's not a message for you. Yeah. Do you think there's such a thing as negative synchronicity? Ooh, that's a good question, Nicholas. I don't know. Um, probably because I kind of believe that if you're going to believe in it, you have to believe in it wholeheartedly and all of it. If it reflects your fear. Yeah, I, I imagine so. And again, it's not bad unless we label it bad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought actually interesting with tarot, like I've had, I was doing a reading for someone. It's all I know. And I thought that my fear had gotten to the cards, which is why I had to get a whole bunch of negative things. But it, it actually really resonated with them. And that was actually, it actually made sense. So yeah, that's the trust and the surrender that is so key in life because otherwise we're resistant. Right. And, you know, I feel like we could go on longer and it's a great conversation, but I just, do you feel like we're kind of, come to a close now it just I do I feel yeah. like you just said it uh, you know if you can get to this place every day little by little releasing expectations and control and just surrender that's the other thing too suffering is having expectations 
of other people, of yourself. Yes, you can strive to meet your goals and all of that. But once it starts, I think it becomes toxic and suffering when you have expectations that if you don't hit them, you know, really is going to be a wonderful opportunity for you to beat yourself up or this or that, or become resistant. I think if you can just try to live in a peaceful moment as you go throughout the day and spread that peace, then that's the only expectation that you need, right? Everything else is like, it can be noise or it can be music, however you want to interpret it. Yeah, spread the peace and more importantly, be the peace. Exactly. And without further ado, have a great day. Um, And the same for you. It was great talking to you. You too.